So last Sunday, I got to share with you from there. And uh, you thought I was speaking to you live. Uh, you might have learned that actually I had pre-recorded that. Isn't that smooth what we can do? I told Donna, man, I could get used to this. I just speak on Saturday and take Sunday off. <laughs> but obviously, church is so much more than me speaking. It's about us being together. Um, we are looking at who Jesus is. We're not just looking at what he does, but who he is. The Bible says that when we peer upon him, when we behold his glory, that we ourselves are changed into the same image from one glory to the next. So as you look at Jesus, you're changing. Now, I know you're looking around some other people and saying they need to change quicker. You might even say that about yourself. But we are changing, not as fast as we'd like, the process of sanctification. It takes a little while. But we are being changed in his, into his image. We talked last week about Jesus being the light of the world. And if you have your Bibles or devices, if you turn with me to John chapter 10, and we'll get there in just a moment. John chapter 10 and verse 1. So last week we ended by talking about this blind man that had been born blind and it was an interesting conversation he had with his disciples about who had sinned. Was it him or was it his, his parents? And Jesus like, it's not about who sinned, it's about that the glory of God could be revealed in his life. And that's a lot of times what we need to remember about ourselves. Did I do something wrong or did someone do something wrong to me? It's not about that. It's about the fact that his glory is to be revealed in your life. And this man is blind and Jesus does an interesting thing. He spits in the dirt and then he makes some mud out of his own spittle. And then he puts that mud on this blind man's eyes, which I, again, promise probably should not be your technique if you're praying for the sick. I don't know that it would go over very well. But for Jesus, it worked. And he said to him, go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, and wash the mud from his eyes. He wasn't healed when Jesus put the mud on his eyes. Sometimes you're looking for God's timing to be on your timetable. And Jesus is looking for faith from you. He's looking for you to be willing to believe what he said and do what he said. And we're like, we want it on our terms. He's like, go to the pool and wash your eyes. And so this man did. He was born blind, and now he has his eyes open so he can see. But more importantly, he's about to have his heart opened so he can believe. Now, you'd think people would be happy for him, but they weren't. Not the religious leaders. He's immediately drawn into controversy, and he gets excommunicated from the Jewish church for being healed. They're not happy. These, these religious leaders, the elite, the Pharisees, uh, they don't like his answers in the interrogation, and they don't like the fact that he's been healed in the first place. Isn't that sad? That religious leaders claiming to know God would be upset with someone for having received a gift from God. They'd rather he stayed blind, make their lives a whole lot easier. Jesus goes and he finds this man because by this time he's gone through this whole interrogation process and been kicked out of the synagogue. <clears throat> and Jesus reveals to this man that he is the Messiah, the one and only true way to salvation. And the man believes, unlike the religious leaders. 
And Jesus makes then in the passage in John chapter 10, which by the way, there are no chapter headings in the story, okay? So just because it goes from John 9 to 10 doesn't mean it's like new scene. It's just a continuation of what's been happening. And if you'll read with me in John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, and then he was brought out, then he was brought out all, excuse me, when he was brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. They know his voice. Say that with me. They know his voice. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, verse 6 is an amazing verse. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, because they're dense. (laughs) Jesus has to sometimes say things to us, because sometimes we're dense. Jesus said to them, again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the same words when God revealed to Moses in the burning bush. I am that I am. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The Bible has a lot to say about sheep and shepherds. Uh, If you ever want to get in the sheep business, read the Bible. And it has an interesting context because the Israel, their leaders were known as shepherds, and God's people were known as sheep. And it goes all the way back and really prior to that, but to David, who was David of Bethlehem, but a shepherd boy who became the mighty king of Israel, King David. And he only was pointing to the great king yet to come, Jesus of Nazareth, who would be the ultimate shepherd king. In these verses in John 10, Jesus says that he is the true shepherd. He's contrasting himself to all those who had come before, the false teachers, the religious leaders, the ones who had led the people astray, And he sees them as pretty shady figures. He calls them thieves and robbers. Now, mind you, these are leaders that supposedly know God. And he calls them thieves and robbers. And he's including this group of Pharisees that has just taken this poor blind man who now can see. And all he cares about is the fact that Jesus touched him and things are different. And he has been taken through the ringer by this group of religious elite. They would prefer he go along with their narrative, not the fact that he had been healed. They would prefer that he stop messing with their religious system where they got to say how things were. But God's goodness had disrupted this man's life and he was forever changed. 
Isn't it amazing how some leaders, even in the church today, demand that you see and interpret things the way they do? Even though you've had a different experience and Jesus has touched you in a different way, there are some Christian leaders who choose to put a litmus test on your faith, telling you how you should think, how you should act, how you should vote, and what you should believe. It's as if they don't trust the Holy Spirit to take care of his own. It's as if they don't believe the verse that says, my sheep know my voice. There are a lot of leaders that see themselves as the gate. There are a lot of leaders that think that their doctrinal teaching is the way to eternal life. Now, I believe in correction and and rebuke. I believe in teaching. I believe in pastoral care and leadership. But I am not Jesus. And I am not the door. And if you're looking to get to the Father through me, you're sadly mistaken. There is no Christian leader. I don't care how smart or how big their church is that gets the right to be the door. For Jesus' sheep. There is only one door. God has always had a problem with religious leaders who set themselves up in his place as if they could sit on his throne. We have to be careful. We have to be careful of leaders who require us to tow their company line, especially when Jesus has moved on us in different ways. Don't let heavy-handed leaders dictate to you what you should believe. That's Jesus' job. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to guide and lead each one of us, not just pastoral leaders, church leaders, each of us into all wisdom and truth. Trust the Holy Spirit. God has always had serious problems with self-serving leaders. Uh, Let's all the way back to Ezekiel, such as in Ezekiel 34. This is a gripping set of verses. The word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel saying, and it said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Wow. I wonder. Never mind. Son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, verse 6. They wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. What an indictment. The shepherds of Israel 
This is the case God has against them. Verse 15 in the same chapter. God continues, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, because you didn't. And I will bring them back, to the sh- back from the strayed, because you didn't. And I will bind up the injured, because you didn't. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong, those that you fattened up yourselves, you yourselves, will be destroyed. I will feed them in justice. The indictment of Israel's shepherds is scathing. And when I say things like I believe God is judging, judging the household of faith because scripture says that, I believe that there are many of these indictments that could be laid at the feet of Christian and religious leaders of today. We must repent. I'm not talking about our church specific. I'm talking about the church in general. He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. But if I choose not to do my under-shepherd duties, he will judge me every bit as harshly as he judged the shepherds of Israel. I stand trembling just a bit before all of that. These these men were greedy. They were self-serving. They were neglecting the needs of God's people. They were catering to their own. They were rich fat and happy while the people of God were neglected, left to wonder, and starving. They pilfered and profited from the people by eating the fat and wearing the wool and slaughtering the best while never doing their job of feeding and caring for God's people. God, have mercy. We'll talk more about the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd. That's coming up in a few weeks. But realize that Jesus declaring, I am the door, is intrinsically tied to the fact that Jesus will also say, I am the good shepherd. He not only leads us through the door, he himself is the door. Now, listen, on any given day in Israel... People understood sheep business. I don't understand sheep business. I worked on a feedlot for one summer working with sheep. They're a dumb breed. They're about the dumbest animals that, that you can find. They will do some of the stupidest things. They will eat all the grass where they are and not go to the green pasture that's beside them because this is where they are. And they just follow each other. And they'll eat it down to where it's just dirt and then begin to eat their own excrement if that's all that's left. They're stupid. They will walk right off the end of a cliff if someone's leading them that way. We would watch them as one sheep with a bell hung around his neck would wander around into the field and they'd all just start following him because the bell was clanking. And they would just lead them right into the pen where they were taken to either be sheared or something worse. Sheep are not smart. But in the Bible, there's a lot of talk about sheep. And as I've said before, I wish Jesus had called us something much more noble. <laughs> Any other animal, like a, a lion or, 
or a giraffe or a zebra. Those are cool. An elephant. Roll Tide. Uh, Anything like that. But he called us sheep. Now, any given day, you would see sheep grazing in the pastures and then uh, also drinking out of the creeks and the streams. But once night fell, as Wade kind of shared with us on the video before, they would gather the sheep and put them into a pen or a corral, and it was called a sheepfold. And these, these were built with stones, and they would pile up the rocks around, and then they would put uh, uh, all sorts of uh, prickly things, briars up on top to keep en- enemies uh, predators, thieves from climbing over the wall, and there was only one way to get in the pen, and it was this opening. And like Wade mentioned, the sheepfold would not typically have a gate. There wasn't a hinged gate, something you could lock and barricade. The shepherd, he was the gate. And he would stand there and watch, protect, and then he would sit potentially. And then when it's nighttime, he would lay down. He would sleep there. And easily be awakened if anything tried to get in or if anyone tried to get out. This is such a vivid picture. What Jesus is saying to us is that he is the door for the sheep. He doesn't just provide for us a door. He doesn't just show us, hey, it's over there, guys. You'll find it. Just keep going. No. He says, come here. I'm the door. I'm the door. Thieves and robbers won't get through me. I am here. Now, there's really very important imagery here. A couple of things that stand out to me, at least three things. First, Jesus has a safe place for us. It's called a sanctuary. It's the sanctuary of God. It is the sheepfold that he has made. He has a place for us to be where we are saved in Christ and we are safe. Secondly, the only way to get into this sanctuary is through the door. You don't want to climb over, you'd be scarred up. All the briars, all the different uh, dangerous things. Probably these days they, they weave glass and broken rocks and other things to protect it. You wouldn't want to go that way. The thieves did, and they're bleeding because of it. The robbers tried to get in because that's the only way they could. They are not entitled to access the door. But Jesus says to us, I'm the door. Come enter by me the only way to get to the father is through jesus christ his son and i don't say that as being intolerant to other people's views i respect other people i want to hear their story i would love to share my story but this is what the one who called me has said that he is not only the door but he is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him. Lastly, it says the sheep will know his voice. Now, what does that mean? Well, how many here have a dog? All right. Some people do. Does your dog know who you are? Yeah, sort (laughs) of. My dog knows I'm the top dog in the house. She knows, she knows my voice. Though she's getting deaf, it's harder for her. But sheep, they know the voice of the shepherd. You see, what would happen a lot of times in these sheepfolds is they were really big, and there would be more than one flock in that sheepfold. 
because it just made sense to put all the sheep in there and several shepherds would be outside. Sometimes they designate a gatekeeper and so he would kind of watch and they could take turns sleeping. But when it was morning time and time to go to the stream, time to go to the green pasture, the shepherd would come to the door and he would call for his sheep. You know what happened? They came. Not other sheep, his sheep. They knew his voice. When he called, they were ready. Now, I, I lived this. I told you I worked that sheep farm. So uh, the man who owned it, his family owned it, was a dear friend of my parents, and, and he was a part of our house church. His name was Don Watson, and he, his family owned this uh, feedlot, and they raised sheep, and they had other crops and all sorts of things, and, and, uh, and they oftentimes have orphaned lambs. You see, if, if, a, if a sheep, if a ewe would have twins, she would only take one. She would reject the other. Sometimes the, the lamb ewe would, uh, with you lamb, you sheep, excuse me, would die in birth. And so, so these lambs were, were orphaned and he would give them to us. We had multiple little lambs that we had to try to adopt and nurse. And unfortunately, many of them did not make it because they were so weak. But one lamb in particular, she had this fight for life. And we would feed her. We'd take a Coke bottle and put this nasty smelling formula in it and a big old nipple on the end. And she would just drop down on her two uh, ankled or, I mean, elbowed legs and then just start drinking that milk as fast as she could. And she grew so fast. And she became a family pet. And my mom gave her a name. Lammy Poo. Kid you not, she's right there. You can ask her. Lammy poo. We love that lamb. She grew up, she got so big, she was obnoxious. She ate things. She would come in the house and do things you didn't want her to do in the house. She would chase the dog around in the backyard. The dog would turn around and then chase her. She was a member of the family. And finally, she got so big and obnoxious and loud. The neighbors were like, what is going on over there? So we had to give her back to the feedlot. And... So Mr. Watson was really kind to us. He said, I'm going to put her in this special pen, and she's going to be taken care of. And so weeks later, my parents went out to see her. And my mom's walking up to the gate. And the lamb knew my mom. She heard my mom's voice and saw her coming, and Lammy Poo <laughs> came running to the fence to see my mom. And it makes me cry a little bit because that's what Jesus does with us. He knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice. What is Jesus revealing to us as the shepherd and the door? Well, when he said, I am the door, he's connected to this shepherding of his sheep. But specifically, he is the door to the kingdom. When you enter a room by any open door, you not only enter that space, but you get access to everything behind the door, right? I mean, that's why you go through a door. What's in the room behind it? My wife works for an international, not an international, almost, a national hospice company, and they have 30-plus offices across the United States. And when she goes to visit one of those offices, she doesn't have to wait outside the door till they get there. She's got a key card. They gave her a key card. It's programmed that when she walks up to that door, she swipes it. And you know what happens? The door opens. Jesus 
gives us a key card into his kingdom. I know this because he said in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus as the door gives us access and entrance to his kingdom. Jesus is the door. And by so that's by going through the door, we receive all that he's promised, all that he has given, the Holy Spirit, his authority, his purpose, relationships, and a future and a hope. It's all ours because he's the door for us to enter through. Secondly, Jesus is the door of protection. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, Paul's writing, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom, heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me remind you where Paul was when he wrote that. In prison, waiting to be executed. And yet he just says, I know that I'm safe. They can take my life, but they can't take my safety. Because he has made me safe and he will protect me from every evil deed. They can take your earthly life, but they can't touch the abundant life Jesus gave you. Finally, Jesus is the door to fellowship with the Father. Listen to how Jesus prayed in John 17. He, he was praying. He said, Lord, Father, I don't just ask for these that you've given me but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then he says that they, that's us, we believe in his word because of them, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, fellowship with the Father, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is the door. There is no other door. He's the only one will get us to the Father. And while he provides open doors like he did the church in Philadelphia, and while he stands at the door knocking, hoping you will open it and let him come in like he did to the church in Laodicea, more importantly, he is the door. He is the passageway into his kingdom, protection, and fellowship. This is what Jesus said, fear not, little flock, For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. May today we not only see the doors he is opening, though he is. And may we not only hear him standing at the door and knocking, though he is. But may we also see him as the door. The only entrance to his kingdom, to his purpose, and to his love. Amen. John is going to come. We're going to pray for you and then sing our last closing song. I think she forgot she was taking her notes. It's okay. In John 20, it's the story of when Jesus surprises the disciples behind the door where they're hiding and they've locked the door and they are fearful for their lives and then suddenly he is present in their midst Jesus the door came through the locked door and was present with them and he said 
peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He was peace, he was presence through the Holy Spirit, and he was purpose. He ended that session by saying, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And I think it's, it's important to remember when we say that he is the door, that we can't make other choices. We don't get to choose other doors. There's one door that leads to life. And everything else leads to death. And so when I pray for us today, I want to pray that we benefit from his presence, from his purpose, and from his peace. Let's pray. Father, we can't begin to express our gratefulness that you made your son the door to eternity. That you made your son the door to life. And that when we receive his gift on the cross, that door is thrown open and we have unending fellowship with you. It is not interrupted by our choices, by our circumstances, even by places in our heart that have yet to be redeemed. You have thrown wide the door of fellowship with us. And we want to respond. Yes. Ask, Lord, that you would give us the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would receive your peace, the dailiness of the helper, that we would acknowledge that you and you alone are the door to life. And we would be quick to receive forgiveness and to forgive. We're grateful to you, Lord, that you speak. And because we belong to you, we know your voice. I don't think that's anything we do. I think it's something you give us privilege. You give us the opportunity. You give us the tonality of your voice so that we can know it when we hear it. We want to hear your voice these days, Lord. We want to hear you saying, go here, stay there, do this, do that. We want to be directed by the shepherd. Speak to your sheep, Lord. Let us hear and obey. We pray, Father, that you will put this word in our hearts, that where we can enter into the sheepfold is a place of kingdom. It's a place of protection. It's a place of fellowship. And it's also a place that we invite others into. We thank you, God, for your word, for this community. Help us to live in faith and not fear, believing you for what you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.